Guys, I wanted to talk about this idea of no wiggle room today. I'll explain what it means, but I, it stood out to me. I was watching this interview from an American actor named Shia LaBeouf. Who knows who Shia LaBeouf is? Who knows if I'm saying his name right or not? Yeah, it's a hard one. I'm just going with it. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> the F is probably silent. He's a really good actor. But he's a younger guy, and he's been, you know, he was a child actor, star, and ran into a lot of issues and troubles in life, addictions, violence, all, all sorts of stuff. In and out of rehab, different places. He, people thought he lost his mind at one point. He went hardcore political. He went hardcore absent. Um, he's been up and down, and then he recently was pretty much canceled by Hollywood because there was an accusation that he had been violent to an ex-girlfriend. Um, and so he has been off the scene for a little bit. But I saw an interview he did in this podcast interview called uh, Real Ones. And it was this two-hour-long interview. And in it, he was explaining, and I've really liked him as an actor, by the way. Like, I've followed him. I like the things he's done. Anybody who's ever seen Peanut Butter Falcon, like, what an amazing movie. He wrote and directed and starred in it. Um, I just really enjoyed him as an actor, and I've followed kind of his real-life stuff. It's one of the things I tend to do sometimes when I'm working, uh, doing IT stuff, which means you just stand in front of a screen with multiple monitors. One of them always has something Google-related, and the news comes up. In this, I've been following his life. And in the interview, he seemed totally different, which grasped my attention, and I wanted to listen to it. Long story short, he was sharing in this interview how he had a radical encounter with with the Lord and got saved. And so I wanted to listen to it. And it was real, and it was gritty, and it was raw. Um, I mean, like, real gritty raw, like, like when I say the F-bomb is an adjective fully part of his language, I mean it, okay? And if you're, 18, if you're under 18, don't watch this interview without parental permission, okay? Um, it is gritty, it is raw, it is real, it's just real life. But... In this, he described this scenario where he talked about how his innate charm and charisma in his life has always been there and good enough to get him out of sticky situations or situations where he's messed up or really, you know, done something awful. He's always been able to find the wiggle room in the situation to kind of pay his penance, schmooze his way around it and get out of the situation and come back out on top. And he's done this four or five times in his life is how he was describing it. But this time, with this situation, he found himself, as he described it, in a place with no wiggle room. He said no matter how hard he wiggled, no matter how hard he tried to use his, his skill, his personality, his charm, his charisma, there was no way out. No wiggle room for him to escape or make the best of the situation. He was being canceled. He was being shut down. He was losing everything, everything he had lived his life for, and he was a perfectionist, or still is, and strove for being the best. If he couldn't be the best, it wasn't worth doing, and everything in his life was a competition, and he had to be the best, and he was striving for this, and he felt like this situation put him in a place where there was no wiggle room, and he was ready to end it all. He sat in his living room one night by himself with a loaded gun, um, ready to end it all because he... This is his own words. He described it as there was no way out this time. 
And it wasn't worth living if you have to give up all the stuff he worked for and that he identified with. And as is a common story here, it was at this point that someone called him. Someone called him and asked him to come down and meet with them. And it was one of his sponsors from a previous um, you know, rehab stint he had done. And he went through this long process, this long, real-life, up-and-down, gritty process. But in the end of it, what the result was, was that he looked back at this process as the moment that saved his life. And he described it as the moment where God allowed no wiggle room. Like God finally cornered him and pressed him. And called him out of this place. Okay? And he then completely gave himself over to this process, which was really hard, but in it found out who the real ones were in his life. That's why he was on the Real Ones podcast. Um, And in this process, came to the conclusion that what he had saw as the reason to end his life before, now, after going through this process with God, embracing the hardships, the pain, the suffering, the death that, that was forced upon him because there was no wiggle room left, He now looked at that same opportunity as his moment of salvation, as the moment that saved his life. And it was just profound. And he speaks for two hours on this. I'd say in a two-hour interview, he does probably an hour and 45 minutes of the talking. Uh, And it's just over and over and above. And he's just real gritty. Like, just imagine someone who's lived that way for 40 years and now is suddenly saved. He doesn't have Christianese. He doesn't have church language. But... It's real, and it was raw, and he's committed to it. And he turned his house into a monastery. (laughs) And he now has 60 people living on his property where they wake up every day, and they do their devotions, their time of God, their service time. They go on a daily walk or bike ride or rollerblade together. Him and 60 people, just strong, every day, and comes back and does their devotion prayer He's following a, um, a monastic form of Catholic Christianity that uh, really grasps and that brings these practices home. It's what he grasps onto. It's just really cool to see and listen. Um, and as a result of this, they ended up having, asking him to play a role for this guy named Father Piedro, I think. I don't know if I'm saying it right, or Pio, or you can look it up. Um, so this message isn't about Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> It's about this concept of this reality of finding no wiggle room and God bringing us to this place where there's no wiggle room and how he does that, right? So, again, trying to figure out what I would title this because we need titles for it. I was like, do I title this no wiggle room? I like that title. But I was also going with embracing hardships. Um, So we'll go with no wiggle rooms in order to embrace hardships and stuff. That's the official title. One of the things that came up in this thing was that he found, when he found out that God was real, he found a real reverence, an awe, what the Bible describes as the fear of the Lord, resonating in him, where he saw how desperately he needed God. It was a fear, it was the fear of the Lord, which I feel like is more adequately described when you say, you paint it like this. Now, there is real fear of the Lord because he is fearful. Ask any enemy of the Lord. But there is a fear of the Lord that those who are saved and chosen and children of God walk in. And it's this, this understanding, this revelation of, what it, of the fear that comes at the thought of not having the Lord. 
of not being with the Lord, of not walking with the Lord, of not being right with the Lord, of being separated, apart, distant, resisted by the Lord. There is a real fear of the Lord in that. And it's this fear of the Lord that leads to the wisdom that Scripture talks about. It's this fear of the Lord that leads to us hating evil and pushing back against the things we find in our heart. And that's how, this is where I saw the tie in there for the wiggle room. Is that without the fear of the Lord, let me give you full transparency. I really wanted to talk about hardship and trials and something God was showing me in, in some of the prayer times I've been doing. And my thought was like, man, I could talk about trials and hardships and enduring them all day, but no one's going to endure hardships or trials for the sake of enduring hardship and trials. You only endure hardship and trials if you understand why you're enduring them. And then I thought, what is keeping us from understanding this? And it naturally led to, there is no fear of the Lord in God's people today. There's no fear, there's no understanding of our desperate need for Him, even for our daily bread. There's no fear of the Lord, understanding of our desperate need for Him, even for our our breath. And there's definitely no fear of the Lord, knowing that this Lord, if if we choose to rebel against Him and remain in open rebellion, that he can not only destroy our bodies, but also our souls in hell. And that's not just a tactic. That's an exact quote from the God-man himself to the people he was sent to minister to, to the people he loved with all of his heart, to the people he came and died for in order to provide a way for them to be saved. He still looked at them and said, don't fear man who can only kill your body and not harm your soul. Instead, fear the Lord who can not only harm your body, but also destroy your soul and body in hell. That should be something that provokes a desire to dig in and understand that more because, man, does he really mean that? What does this mean? I need to understand. I need to wrestle with this statement from the living God himself. Like it's in red letters, people. I need to understand what this means. It can't mean that. He loves me. God doesn't threaten me. You got you to do the work and come to the conclusion that Jesus meant what he said, so you need to really understand what is it that he said. But he said this. And so I started thinking like, man, without getting it, without being able to embrace the fear of the Lord and, and really owning that, it's going to be hard to own trials and hardships and tribulations. So I began to dive into that a little bit and see how I could tie this together. And there's a lot, there's a lot, like Isaiah 8, I'm just going to read off some scriptures so you can hear the trend of scripture here. In Isaiah 8, 13 to 14, it says this, you are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. What a dynamic. And you're going to see this in every verse I read about the fear of the Lord. That it's saying, only he should be feared and held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. Do you see that? He's not threatening 
He's not trying to blackmail you into heaven. He's declaring to you a universally known truth and fact, which is that only God and God alone should be feared. That in light of who God is, there is nothing else fear-worthy. When you see him, anything else you previously thought fear-worthy is shamed in comparison. It, is no, it no longer carries any reason for fear. And so this universal truth that you get at the revelation of who God is, is this, that only God should be feared, and only God should be held in awe. And here's the other truth that God is trying to communicate. He will be your sanctuary in that place. It's not a threat, it's a promise. That as you line up with truth and you begin to see the revelation of who God is, the promise is that God will be a sanctuary. Then in Deuteronomy 10.12, and I'm choosing these because these are from books that people normally think are the fearful, hardcore law passages, and here's what God says in the midst of them. In Deuteronomy 10.12, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Again, he's calling them back to this reality that he is the Lord to be feared and also the Lord to obey and to love because he loves you. Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Again, who among you fears the Lord? Let him trust in the name of the Lord, who will be a light in the darkness for you. And then in Joshua, 20, Joshua 4, 24, he did this so all the peoples of the earth, now he's talking about conquering the land here. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Now he's talking about all the people of the land will know that he is powerful. He is El Shaddai, the Almighty One. And so that you, referring to the Israelites, his people, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Saying, look at what the Lord has done. He's done this for this reason, to show the world that he's mighty, and so that you will always remember that he is the one to be feared. This is powerful stuff. And finally, Luke 1.50 from the New Testament. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Again, the fear of the Lord mixed with God's mercy being given from generation to generation. Matthew 10, 28, I already read to you guys, but listen to it again. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That one comes with none of that warm stuff afterwards. Read the rest of the gospel and you get the warm stuff. This one was him just saying, guys, stop being afraid of these things. Let me give you some perspective. And he says that. Psalm 115.11 says, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Again, help and shield. 
2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. What a combination. Again, we see this. And this is what stood out to me about Shia's encounter again. It was an encounter with with the fact that he was lost and, and to be destroyed to the point he was ready to end it because ending it was better than where he found himself. And then he saw that the Lord was the one worthy to be feared, that the Lord was the one who was doing this and he was mighty to save him. And he grabbed hold of that and he has now given up his pursuit of Hollywood and fame and esteem and instead is committed. He, in this interview, he said... His goal for employment is to be content at Home Depot. That's what he said. He said he doesn't even find within himself a leading desire to go back to that. He would love it if the Lord worked it in this way, and he did, but he's not pursuing it. He said right now he's looking into jobs like Home Depot and other places like that just to keep himself busy in this part-time work while he commits to this work of God with the people he's working with. It was profound. What could do that in a person's life? I wrote this note down about the fear of the Lord. I said, the fear of the Lord is a cleanser because it exposes the things that lay hidden and guarded. It exposes the things that lay hidden and guarded. And I related, I really resonated with the Shia thing I was watching in this interview because it's similar to what I experienced at the beginning of what God did here with this, this prayer outpouring is that in this, right in from the first day, which a lot of you guys have heard this before, but let me repeat, in the first couple days, I was just moved. Like, it was clear. God was calling us to accommodate him and what that looked like in my life was a uniting of different spheres in my life that I had going on, social spheres and interaction spheres and time and effort spheres between work and ministry and social. And accommodating God looked like giving things up and bringing them all into alignment. And I wrestled with this for days. I did not want to give these things up. They were good to me. They were, they were beneficial to me in my soul and my heart. I didn't want to give them up. And so for the next week to 10 days... I wrestled with it, and I wrestled with it in a way that I, re- that I can resonate with the idea of no wiggle room. We're in the past. God has put his finger on these things over the past few years, and each time I've been able to kind of reason with God, wrestle with them, rationalize, whatever you want to say, to find a place of peace in my heart to continue managing and navigating these multiple spheres. And I did with real peace. There was no sense of conviction. There was no sense of, I'm in the wrong here. There was always this sense of like, uh, I don't know. Man, imagine what you could be doing if you didn't spend your time doing this. That type of stuff. But then I'd rationalize that. Yeah, imagine if I just didn't sleep, what I could do with the rest of my life. You know, like things like that. Imagine if I didn't spend any time with my children or anything like that. You just start rationalizing this. And it, it was wiggle room. And so I'd move out. And at the beginning of this, God pressed on these things so much and was relentless and wouldn't let go. And I can relate to that concept of no wiggle room. He left no wiggle room. 
to the point where I would do my rationalized thing and come in and want to worship, like when we were having full-blown encounter services every night, and the worship was really momentous and powerful, and I would be there unable to worship. And I'd be like, put it down, just let me worship. And it was suffocating. It was that sense of no wiggle room until, and even then I tried to like barter with the Lord and give up them in stages. All right, fine, I'll do this. And it was like nothing, couldn't breathe, couldn't worship, couldn't do nothing. It wasn't until I reached this point of total willingness to surrender that it was released and I felt like I had reached where God was trying to bring me. I felt the release in my heart, in my spirit. Um, I was able to full-blown worship with no hindrance, and it was hard. But here's the relating part, guys. It was, it was an awakening because I was at points not going to do it. I was refusing in my soul to give it all up because arguments of like, it's just not fair. I can't just not have anything for myself. I can't not have downtime and relaxed time and things for myself. That's not right, God, right? Like that type of stuff. And so I was going to, I was, there was times where I'd go back and forth saying, I'm not doing that. And what kept pushing me by the grace of God in hindsight was this fear of what my life would look like or what my relationship with God would look like moving forward if I had maintained a stance like that. What would be left for me if I put my foot down on something I felt God was was asking of me? And that filled me with dread, like a real sense of dread. That's the best word to describe it, like a dread, like like where your mind goes blank and you kind of feel lost in the moment for a second. Like I felt lost at the idea of moving forward. And then I started saying, what am I holding on to that that's even worth it? There's nothing. And I come back to my right mind and start rationalizing. And that happened two or three times in a 10-day period. And I've been walking with the Lord for 26 years now. And I was at that point where something was in there that brought me to a point of actually entertaining, willingly disobeying the Lord. And the only thing that kept me from doing it by God's grace was the deeper resonating fear of the Lord that has been cultivated by the Lord in my heart over that 26-year period. Where I cannot imagine, nor is there anything in this world I can think of that would be worth it for me to live in a place apart from the Lord. And I'm far from being where I should be with the Lord in terms of where I want to be, where I'm sure He wants me. But I'm not apart from Him. I'm in His hands and I'm on this journey. This would have been an overt decision to decide against it simply because my flesh or something I desired was calling for it. That's what I mean by the fear of the Lord. That we'd be willing to to take the things that we see are pushing, things that we start feeling the tugging of the Lord in our hearts to do, and we don't. Because this fear of the Lord operates, when we allow it, as a cleanser. It comes in, and by the fear of the Lord, you're willing to put your arms open. You're willing to allow Him to come in and search the deep parts of your heart. And to cleanse it. 
right? Expose the things that lay hidden and guarded. And so what I began to see in these scriptures I was looking at then is this, guys. This is the beauty. This is the grace of God on display. That the same God who should be feared because he can destroy us is the same God we love because he loves us. They're not two separate gods. It's one and the same. The same God that we should walk in awe and reverence and fear of because he can destroy us. He's the only one that can destroy us. Happens to also be the same God that we love because he loves us. Do you get that? Like that is a moment. When you look at the, the religions of the world throughout all of history, none of them have this. They all have the gods that will destroy them. The gods that if they are angry, they're going to wipe them out. And there is none that love them. There is only appeasement available. And there is only reward available for appeasing them. And here's this God, the only one worthy to be feared. And instead, he chooses to come and love us. And to win our hearts through love so that we'd love him. That's the God that we're willing to engage in trials and tribulations for. That's the God we're willing to embrace hardship and pain and suffering for. But if you guys are like me, when you hear those words, you hear this. Embrace hardship and trial and suffering. What you hear is missionary martyrs in a foreign land being shot in the head for not denying Jesus. How many of you guys hear that same thing when you hear that? Raise your hand if, you're, if you hear things like that, like me. Good. All these brave souls. Not one person raised their hand. Are you kidding me? Am I a unicorn? All right. Thank you. I've got a pity raised over here. Tim, Pierce, where are you? Are you here? Can you come up for a second? Where's the handheld mic? I was talking to Tim the other day, and we were talking about this, right? Because what was resonating in my heart was, I've been going through all sorts of things I'd call hardships, struggles, trials, like difficult times, and I was just saying, I had found myself waking up every day and complaining about blessings in my life, right? Like big picture, long-term stuff, probably going to end up being blessings in my life. And I'm like complaining and struggling, and so I decided, I'm going to wake up every day and just acknowledge that this is the day the Lord has made and choose to rejoice and be glad in it. No matter how hard, and I mean, guys, it's suffocating on my soul hard, right? Like, it's, it's really hard. Um, I was going to commit to this. And then we were talking before meeting, and he was like, yeah, the Lord's been showing me the same thing. But tell him about what you saying, like, you did the word study and what it, the hardship and trials mean, that it's yeah. not like this, like, great martyrdom suffering for Christ. Yeah, so um, what he was saying... I completely resonated with what the Lord had laid on me through a friend is in James 1, 2. Of course, what does it say? You know, consider it crazy. Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds because this produces perseverance, right, which is necessary for, your, for the maturity, completeness in your faith, right? So pulling apart the word study there is... Uh, in particular, the first of all, the considerate pure joy, this is worth, worth noting. It's like make up your mind that this is actually joyful, that you have this kind of perseverance in your life because this is exactly what strengthens your faith. 
But here's the fun part that I think is Steve's point here, is the various trials literally means various trials. I mean, so again, I was probably one of those people, sorry, I didn't raise my hand. Yeah, I always thought, oh yeah, you're not really persecuted unless you get shot in the head for being a Christian somewhere in a foreign land, or unless you're suffering for Christ, then you're not really suffering persecution. That's not the case. The various trials literally means everything, and it's used other places in the Bible for this. It means everything from growing older, financial problems, relationship problems, everything. So the point is, is it isn't just suffering for being a Christian. It's how we suffer as believers profoundly matters because that's what develops perseverance in the faith, and this is what's strengthening our faith. So any trial we can rejoice in, right? We can rejoice in any trial as we go through that as a believer because this is increasing perseverance of our faith. Did I get it? Yeah. Thanks. Anyway, when we were sharing that, I was like wrestling with it a little bit, like thinking because of that perspective and I was wrestling through it. I was like, it's true because of this, because we are name bearers of Christ. Right? We're not just like Christian in a box and then have different struggles and hardships in a different box. Right? Like this is a holistic experience we're living here on this earth. That as Christians, there are a lot of hardships and struggles that come into our life simply because we're trying to live the Christian godly life. Not because we're in a foreign land as a missionary and someone's trying to get us to deny the faith or that you know, our hardships is because we've sold everything we had and give it to the poor and now we struggle. It's because we're trying to live as representations of Christ on the earth that so many of these hardships come that wouldn't. We have an enemy. He hates us. He's going to bring hardships and trials and tribulations and everything to us. So in my prayer block, I was praying into this. I was reading through 1 Peter. Guys, 1 Peter, the whole letter is about this. Right? The whole letter is about this. The whole book of James is about this. It's just this idea of hardship. So in 1 Peter... 412, this is what it says. Dear friends, when the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are rid- ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God with that name, that name, Christian, which means Christ follower. That's the part that stands out to me here. Like, they're separated. Like, he's saying, like, guys, clearly don't struggle for being a murderer or a thief or any other wicked thing. Clearly, there's no benefit in that. That's your just punishment for being that. But aside from that, if you're suffering as a Christ follower, then know this. You should not be ashamed, but should glorify God with that name of Christ follower. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. Do you hear that? The time has come for judgment to begin with the Christ followers. Those who are meant to bring glory to that name. 
Judgment is starting with those who claim the name Christ follower. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome, outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if the righteous, he quotes the Old Testament here saying, and if the righteous is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Listen to that. So those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, meaning continue to do good even when you're suffering, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. That's amazing. I want to read a couple more that stand out and then bring you to the point. This thing that resonated in my heart. James 1, 2 through 4, which Tim referenced, says this, Consider it pure joy. What? I want you to hear these words. Don't let the Christianese roll right off the top of your head. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Consider it not just joy. James decided to, to say, consider it pure Joy, not a mixture of joy and, you know, poor stuff, bad stuff. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, man, there's so much here, guys. We could unpack, we could do a Bible study for 10 months on this. Because the testing of your faith, so these hardships, these trials, these fiery things that come on you, are being brought on you, and they are testing your faith. Did you think of that? They're testing your faith, not your ability to trust that God exists. Your faith, meaning the the truth that you claim to walk in, the set of teachings that have been passed down to us from Christ and his apostles. The faith, the one that Paul says, test yourself to make sure that you remain in the faith. These trials, tribulations, testings, hardships, they are meant to test your faith. And they are not meant to test your faith for God's sake so that he can see what you're made of. He already knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He's seen you at your worst and he's already called you. This is for you to see what your faith is made of. Because you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 1 Peter 1.6 says, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? This, your, these trials are meant to test and prove the genuineness of your faith for one reason, so that Christ can be glorified through your witness, through your life, through your demonstration, right? We talked about this the last couple of weeks in, the, in Ephesians, that through you, the church, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to the heavens and the earth. Through you. That is happening through this process. As the world and the powers in the heavens watch, look on at these weak, powerless flesh bags, and they watch 
in the weakness of those things, the power of Christ manifests through them. As they surrender to their Lord, and their Lord tests and purifies this faith and their witness so that these, these putrid, weak, dying, decaying flesh bags begin to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to all who look on. That's the value of these hardships, guys. John 16.33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me, meaning Christ, he's the one saying this, you can have peace in the midst of this stuff. It says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. It's the same message, it's the same theme. In Romans 12.12, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. What a combination. This is at the end of an entire chapter in Romans 12 where Paul is summarizing all these important things and he summarizes it with these three points. In other words, everything I just said, guys, can be summarized in this. Be joyful in hope. Wow. Consider it pure joy. That's what James said. Now Paul is saying it this way. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Consider pure joy when these fiery trials come on you. Peter, James, Paul, they are all saying the exact same thing. In hope, be joyful. In affliction, be patient. In prayer, be faithful. And then James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, there's that test and trial thing again, That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So what am I saying in all this? Here's my summary. Romans 5, 3-5 says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. This is on a whole new level now, guys. Forget, consider it pure joy when these things come on you. Forget just being patient. Paul elevates it in Romans to, we now glory in our sufferings. We rejoice. We glory. We celebrate. We find pure joy in these sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, just like Peter said. But Paul takes it further and says, perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And the hope that we have will never be put to shame because our hope is in God's love, which has been poured out in us by the Spirit of God Himself. This is wild. And I don't know about you. Maybe I'm alone in this again. But I don't think I've reached the place where I consider these things pure joy and glory in them. I'm maybe at the place where I can be patient in them where I can endure them like a good soldier. And I can even put my faith and trust in God that he's going to rescue me from this and he'll provide a way out of this hardship. But I'm on this new journey of finding a way to actually rejoice in the hardship, to glory in it. I don't even know what that fully means yet, guys. To find glory in them, to be able to 
to fully understand what Paul says when he says this. That the, the trials and the struggles of this life are not worthy to be compared to the weight of glory being produced in us through those trials and hardships. So while I was praying, I felt like, like God was showing me this, and I, I got this. This is what I wrote down. I said, trials and hardships and things that go wrong and don't go according to plan in this life are the very blessings of God and of this short lifetime that allow us to be shaped and come to know Him and earn the rewards that He promises. In a way, we won't be able to after this life ends. And all these obstacles and trials and tribulations, etc. are no more. And I wrote down, we only have a short time to truly know the fellowship of His sufferings. And the power of His resurrection. And the daily victories of His grace. Because there's coming a day. There's coming a day when this ends. And we viewed it for so long as the moment of our rescue. And there is truth in that. There is the moment of, of the battle's end. But that is also the end of our opportunity to suffer, to endure hardship, to embrace these things that go wrong, to win daily victories by His grace and not our strength, to continually learn piece by piece and struggle by struggle of His great faithfulness in our life. When this is all said and done, there's a truth and a reality that we will behold Him and we will see as we've been seen. But the opportunity to win the rewards will be at an end. And it's that type of perspective that I believe is what's needed in order to embrace these the way Paul embraced them, the way Peter embraced them, the way James embraced them, the way they so desperately tried to communicate this to us over and over and over. I read so many scriptures because I wanted to make sure we understood the constant battering that is happening in the New Testament and the Old to remind us that these things are for our good. That the hardship and the sufferings and the wrestlings, that if we do it as Christians, meaning as Christ followers, as those who are seeking with our, our life and our death to honor and glorify God, to bring Him praise, then every aspect of this is for our good. And not only that, it's, it's God trying to pour out opportunity after opportunity of blessing, knowing the end from the beginning. And this struck me, guys. It struck me hard that, that I've, in my whole life, complained over and over about the very blessings of God being given to me. That if Christ himself came as the captain of our salvation and learned obedience through the things he suffered, and if it, God could tell us in Isaiah that it pleased him to crush his son, and that for the joy that was set before Christ, he endured the crushing. And it was worth it to him. 
because of the reward and the joy and that we are promised great rewards. If we endure to the end as good soldiers, as sons, as fathers, but now if we have a divine perspective, if we can see the way God sees, if we can just take the mind of Christ on this and recognize that, man, suffering, hardship, opportunities to take offense, opportunities to be wounded and hurt by people you love and trust, to be ridiculed, to be persecuted, to be misjudged, to be unfairly treated. Can you imagine how easy it would be to not turn around and strike back at someone if instead you found yourself in a place of gratitude in those moments? This is an opportunity for me to put on Christ and to walk as someone who claims the name Christ follower. Who, taking on the form of man, did not consider it robbery to be considered equal with Christ, with the Father. But instead, humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Because he recognized that the reward was this. That he would be given the name above every other name and he would be raised up. And the reward that was set before him would be his. And here's the beautiful part we see. In the temptations of Christ, the enemy tried to give him all those things minus the suffering. And Christ, who was so firmly rooted in the truth of his own words, was able to respond and say, No, I must embrace these things to become the God-man who saves humanity, who brings all these things to where they should be. And it's not even about me. Because I am going to hand them to the Father when it's all said and done. What a picture. What a picture. And so the conclusion here is this, guys. We're in a place of God-given opportunity. And it has provoked, it has provoked in so many of us, this stirring of not wanting to change of the, the inconvenience that it's provoking in our hearts and our lives. For a whole long season, it's been like this. From that, the repentance Sunday that we had on, God has been stirring and giving opportunities for us to embrace hardship, to embrace some suffering, to embrace some trials, some conflict, some offense, some misjudgments, some unfair treatments, all of these things. And the most shameful thing we can do is pass up these opportunities by disregarding them and getting offended at them or striking back at them, not responding in a way that says, Lord, what are you doing in this midst? You be honest with God where you're at. I'm not in a place to glory or celebrate, but I can endure it and I can trust you in this. God, change my heart and bring me to a place of being able to endure this for your glory. And bring me to a place of being able to find joy in this thing for your glory. Bring me to a place to be able to find pure joy in this. Bring me to a place to be able to glory in all my weaknesses. This is the work we need the Lord to do. We need the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Right? I could stand up here and preach the same message every single day. But this is the work of the Lord in our hearts that has to take place. We can't be convinced of this. 
We have to go to the Father. Maybe this message is enough to provoke some thoughts and truth in your heart. And it will just stay there. And the enemy will come in and grab that seed and fly away with it. And you'll just go on living your life. Unless you take it and you do work with God himself. And you say, Lord, put this in my heart. Do this work. Take this deep. Teach me to be like you. Teach me to embrace these hardships and sufferings. You understand? Until we get to the place where we recognize, man. It's like the quote from Robert Moffat that I, I quote all the time. We will have all of eternity to celebrate our victories. But only a few short moments before the dawn in which to win them. And that dawn is coming. And it is coming. Behold, he stands at the door and he knocks already. And I'm getting older, so he's knocking on a different door, it feels like for me. But the reality is there. I feel it. I feel time compressing on me. I feel the the increasingly desperate need to be single-minded as time gets like this. And that opportunities begin to slip through my finger cracks is what it feels like. And it's a fear of the Lord that is gripping me and saying this cannot be. Each opportunity that goes by is a tragedy that I then try to make up for. Not in some striving, but I'm just saying to be aware of. That blessing after blessing is being brought my way. With each conflict, I have been refined. The character of Christ has been reformed to me. I've been able to learn how to go to Christ for wisdom, for knowledge, for direction, for guidance, how to hear his voice in a greater way. So that when I see him, this is my goal. Hopefully I have a lot more time to grow in this. So that when I see him, I see the one that I have truly, not just in word or in deed, grown to love with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. So that, like C.S. Lewis says, when I look back from the place of heaven, I will see that everything in my life was working to produce heaven in me. So that when I step into heaven, it feels like home, not like a new vacation place that I have to get used to. You understand? I want it to feel like I'm stepping off the battlefield into the home that I feel so familiar with. And that has to come from embracing these things. This is why Paul said what he said. He said, I'm torn. I'm torn between going to be with the one that I have known through the fellowship of sufferings. That I have known through the the baptized, baptism into his death and taking part in the resurrection of his very power. I want to go be with that one right now. But I'm torn between going now or staying with you a little longer because you need this. And he chose, just like Christ did, to stay and be with them a little longer. But this is the man that said to know him. Oh, to know him. In the fellowship of his sufferings. This is the man who said, I bear the marks of Christ on my very body. And this is why we know we can trust him. He shared in the afflictions and the sufferings of Christ. He goes as far to say that he completed it in his own body. What does that look like for us? We don't live in ancient Rome. We live in comfy comfy, rich America. We live in a context where 
the hardships and the struggles and the sufferings take on a completely different form. So I want to give you this. I'm not telling you to join a monastery and grab a, you know, a cat's tail whip and start whipping yourself to embrace suffering. You don't go looking for trouble. You just live as a Christ follower and you will get labeled a troublemaker. Trouble will find you. I promise you. Jesus promises you. All those who want to live a life of godliness will suffer persecution for his sake. That's a promise. If you are not finding these opportunities of suffering, trial, tribulations, hardship in your life, you should probably reevaluate what following Christ looks like in your life. I feel like that's a fair statement. And begin to pursue this and look, what is it in my life that is not creating these things? Am I living too comfortably with the world and the world's standards and the world's philosophies? Or am I pursuing Christ and the fellowship of his suffering through things like prayer and fasting and disciplines and silence and all the Christian disciplines that are instituted for this purpose? Christ said when he's gone, his people would fast often. Do you qualify as his people just by that one metric? Do you find yourself fasting often? Or is it too hard? Do we submit to our bellies as our God instead of the Holy Spirit? These are where it leads, guys. This is what I'm talking. This is why I felt like the fear of the Lord needed to be the prerequisite for a conversation like this. So, the call is this. Pursue the fear of the Lord. Ask God for it. Pursue the perspective of rejoicing in the hardships that you can embrace now. The American hardships. It's almost an oxymoron sometimes. Right? But you embrace the hardships of what it means to be a Christian in a culture that does not embrace such a thing. To be a Christian, to live the way Christ called you to in an imperfect body of Christ. So let's ask God to do that right now. We have an internship graduation to uh, celebrate. And I want you to recognize that what I just shared is sitting at the core of our internship program. Our internship program is partly birthed out of the recognition that in this place, in this culture, in this United States, you are hard-pressed to find opportunities to live and die for Christ at a young age. You are hard-pressed to be raised in an environment that teaches you, teaches you to take up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow him. It's just hard to find that. And so in our program, we strive to create opportunities for hardship, to create opportunities for trials, for struggle, for shortcomings, for the junk being squeezed to the surface. We create unfair opportunities and situations recognizing this truth that through this their faith will be tested and tried and the genuineness of it would emerge as gold that is purified by fire and they will become the young foundations of the church's leadership 
but the foundation will be established on a life of learning to embrace the sufferings and the hardship and the trials. We have some young men and women who have made it through and have done that. And we're asking you guys to celebrate that with us just shortly after this. Before we do that, though, I want to give you guys an opportunity to embrace this right now. Take this next few minutes right now as we begin to worship to just get out of your comfort zones. You've been sitting down for a long time. How do I know? I'm the one preaching, so I know you've been sitting for a long time. So just stand up. Shake that off. Pace. Walk. Do whatever you need to do and begin to go after God right now and say, God... What is it in my heart that I'm holding on to? What is keeping me from embracing the fear and awe and reverence of the Lord in a greater way right now? And what? And teach me to open my eyes to the opportunities you're bringing to me to, to refuse to, to be a gossip, but instead to suffer through what I might want to share, to refuse to take offense, to refuse to get critical, to refuse to, to backbite, and to attack and to defend yourself. Allow the Lord to defend you. Turn the other cheek. What's keeping us from living that lifestyle? Let's just go after him right now. Lord, just begin to do that right now. Holy Spirit, move in each heart right now. Do what only you can do. Take your truth, take your words, plant it deep in our hearts that we would be transformed in this moment. Open our eyes to see what the ongoing truth of this looks like in our lives. What the laying it of down looks like, laying our life down. What picking up your cross looks like. What surrendering and submitting to your mission and your will and your truth looks like. Save us from the trappings of this world and the philosophies of this age and this world that so subtly come in. us safe God purified by your word by your truth that we would resonate your, your example God and we would represent you well to the world that needs you so desperately 